0: things in your precious and most worthy name amen revelation chapter 12 and let's begin to read this evening we'll just read from verse 1 just so we get the whole picture again uh, tonight revelation 12 and let's begin at verse 1 and there appeared a great wonder in heaven uh, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars and she being with child cried uh, traveling in birth and pain to be delivered and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations, with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan "'which deceiveth the whole world. "'He was cast out into the earth, "'and his angels were cast out with him. "'And I heard a loud voice saying, "'In heaven now is come salvation and strength, "'and the kingdom of our God, "'and the power of his Christ. "'For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, "'which accused them before our God day and night. "'And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb "'and by the word of their testimony, "'and they loved not their lives unto the death.' "'Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. "'Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea! "'For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, "'because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. "'And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, "'he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. "'And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, "'that she might fly into the wilderness.' Into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood, and the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth, and the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll end our reading there at verse 17. Just very briefly, last week we of course thought a little bit about the first six verses and we thought about how chapters 12 through 14 of Revelation are, in a big word for Wednesday night, parenthetical. And really that ends from chapter 12 through to chapter 14, verse 20. And we have several different characters that are introduced to us in these A couple of chapters, we have the woman, who's representing Israel. We have the dragon, which represents Satan. The male child, which represents Christ. Michael, uh, representing the angels. You have Israel, the remnant of the woman's seed. And then the beast out of the sea, the world dictator and the beast out of the earth. The false prophet, religious leader of the world. And that's some of the characters that we'll come across in the weeks to come. But we were introduced to a few of those last week Chapter 12, as I'm sure you've, you've picked up as we have read, is probably one of the most symbolic chapters in Revelation, if not the entire Word of God. And we thought a little bit last week how every time it seemed that God made a move, Satan tried to also make a move to try and undermine the whole plan that is ahead. And why would Satan do that? Well, we all know the answer. Satan is the one who is, as it were, ruling this present world, and it's been that way ever since the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And you study Scripture at all, and I don't need to tell you good people here this evening, but you study Scripture, you go through the Word of God, and you'll find that Satan, of course, is the god of this world, the the prince and the power of the air, uh, prince of this world, and the whole world, as it were, is in the lap of the wicked one, and you can see that all around about us. Of course, he has many different names, Uh, the enemy and we'll maybe touch on that as we go through it he's the one that we wrestle with he's the one that roams about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and um, all of us at one point or another and maybe even at the very moment you feel like you're being devoured by the enemy with circumstances and situations and things that come across your path it also helps us to understand how and there's some people who are Uh, very sincere and well-intentioned, but they believe that we're in the millennial kingdom already. And all I would simply challenge them with is simply this, in the millennial kingdom or the millennial reign of Christ, of course, Satan will be bound. And so if we are in the millennial kingdom, if we are in these thousand years already, how come we do not see evidence of these kingdom conditions around about us today? If Satan is not bound, if he is bound, as one commentator put it, he must be on a very long leash because he certainly is not bound and he's running the world system, and we see all about that today. And, of course, Satan's strategy, as we thought last week, was to try and even destroy the very lineage leading to Christ, to try and even prevent the birth of Christ. And then when Christ was born, he's going to try and impede that. And now we're looking at something else this week, and how uh, Satan's going to try and undermine even the very instrument through which the kingdom will come. And Of course, that's the nation of Israel. Israel is a wonderful nation, as we thought about very briefly last week, and I I know I'm preaching to the converted on that. And had it not been for God's work with Israel in creating them and protecting them and sustaining them, we wouldn't have a Bible. And that would be terrible enough, but even worse than that, if it weren't for Israel, we wouldn't have a saviour. And I think that's the most poignant thing of all whenever you think about it. Praise God, one day Christ will reign over the planet for a thousand literal years from the throne of David in Jerusalem. Isaiah 2, 3 tells us, and many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? One day this world will be ruled, not from Stormont, not that they really do an awful pile of stuff, but anyway, not from Stormont or even from Westminster or Brussels, but it's all going to be from uh, Jerusalem itself. Now, I want to think a little bit this evening, first of all, about safety. Look at this, verses 6 and then 13 through 17. Usually whenever I preach through something you're probably familiar enough now I just go down verse by verse and sort of line by line but we're going to be over this couple of verses because there's a little bit of overlap here and there and I want to get through as much of this tonight as we can so I hope you had a good cup of coffee or tea before you came out here tonight because you're going to have to pay attention, but I'll keep you moving and plenty of references anyway. But I want you to see this safety, element of safety, first of all, in verse 6 of Revelation 12. Look at verse 6 again, and look at this carefully. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Now, this is, uh, the woman, of course, is Israel. And Jim Allen, the wonderful commentator in Revelation Revisited, he said, the cameo of history closes in verse 5, and now there follows a direct prophecy as the focus in John's vision returns to the mother of the man-child, in other words, Israel. In this symbolic picture, Israel has brought forth Christ, whose history on earth has closed with the ascension of Christ, and we looked at that in our study of Acts quite a few weeks ago. Now we have to understand what's going on here. You see, between verse 5 and 6, we are faced with a very common characteristic of prophetic verses. In other words, very often in prophetic verses, and this is important to understand, events which can appear side by side on the page, verse 5, verse 6, can actually be separated by an awful long period of time. And that's where people maybe get confused and get all sorts of weird and wonderful ideas about prophetic understanding. Well, let's not think about this in verse 6. She, the woman, or Israel, fled into the wilderness... It's a place that's prepared by God. It's a place where the woman, Israel, is not just going uh, to have to survive, but she's going to be nourished. If you look at verse uh, 14, you'll see this. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time. It's a place of nourishment. It's a place of feeding, but it's still in the wilderness. In fact, in Matthew twenty-four sixteen. A lovely little cross reference verse, it says, Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. In Isaiah 33 and verse 16, it tells us, He shall dwell on high, his place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks, bread shall be given him, his waters shall be sure. Many commentators are of the view that what we are thinking of here, this wilderness, is modern-day Jordan, directly to the east of the nation of israel there's another little reference in daniel 11 verse 41 and it talks about how the antichrist will go through the nation of israel like a savage and it tells us there in 11:41 of daniel he shall enter also into the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown but these shall escape out of his hand even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. Now why does it not extend into Moab and Ammon? Well that's apparently an area where where the Antichrist will not be able to get to and I think and some of the commentators uh, as I was looking at this in recent days they believe it's likely that is the place in Jordan where Israel will flee to. Moab, Ammon and Edom is what we would call modern day Jordan. And then just to narrow it down because Jordan's a fairly sizable piece of land. In Micah chapter 2 and verse 12 it says, us this, I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Bozrah. As the flock in the midst of their fold, they shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. So we've narrowed it down a little bit further. There's a wonderful writer on these sorts of things and maybe... Uh, Some of you have his material at home. But Arnold Fruchtenbaum, that's a good name, isn't it? He described it this way. Another suggestion is that the city known as Petra, this author uh, prefers the identification with Petra. Petra is located in a basin within Mount Seir and is totally surrounded by mountains and cliffs. The only way in and the only way out of the city is through a narrow passageway that extends for about a mile and can only be negotiated by foot or by horseback. It makes it easy to defend. I know nothing about military tactics and all the rest of it, but it's very easy to defend, and it's got high cliffs all around about, and it's a wonderful confirmation. It tells us, uh, or he goes on to say, only a few abreast can enter through that passageway at any one time, giving the city even greater defensibility. That name of that area or that city, Bosra, means sheepfold. And an ancient sheepfold would have had a narrow entrance so that the shepherd could count his sheep. Isn't that a lovely picture of the provision of protection that will be bestowed upon Israel? Not one person will uh, be able to go in without uh, being counted or being numbered. It's a wonderful thought. But there's something else that I want you to see here, not just uh, the flight or wherever it is, but I want you to see also the feeding. Look at verse 6 again about the nourishment and the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Feed her there. And in verse 14, of course, we saw the word nourished. Now, it's important to understand in the original language, we just read it there as feed her there and you get the idea of it. But that that word feed really takes into account uh, a massive amount of consideration it's not just food and water it's not just bread and water like we would think of not just the basics but Israel will be nourished we hear a lot about uh, what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat and a balanced diet and five a day and all these different things and those are important and if you if you were to eat just bread and water well you'd get by but I'm sure other parts of the body would start to maybe break down because you need nourishment well Israel is not just going to be given the basics, but it's going to be a complete provision of everything that she will need in order to be nourished, to to grow and to sustain life at that time of divine protection. And whenever I was studying this, I thought to myself, why, would that, why should that surprise us? Why should it surprise us that God will nourish Israel? Not just keep them taken over with the bare essentials, But he's going to nourish them. He's going to provide everything that they would need. Why should it surprise us? It's a place prepared of God. It's a place that will be provided of God. And now I want you to understand the application to your life today or this evening here in church or if you're listening online. You see, in your life right now, I have no doubt, uh, and maybe you're about to go through a trial or you're coming out of a trial or you're in the midst of something, and you feel a little bit like the woman in verse 6 You've fled into a wilderness and you kind of wonder, what's this wilderness all about? A wilderness isn't somewhere where I'd maybe like to be. A wilderness isn't somewhere that I'd normally associate with being nourished and being fed and being built up. But it's maybe a place that God has prepared for you. And whenever you go into that, God has still provided a means of escape and he's provided a means of protection. And you feel even though in that wilderness of life, even as a believer, it seems absolutely hopeless. You wonder what the future holds. Well, can I encourage you this evening? I'm going to ask you a question and you can answer it loud if you want, but does God change? Of course he doesn't. He changeth not. And so if God in his hand of provision and divine provision is going to supply and nourish Israel in a future day, you can be sure, you can be guaranteed that God is going to nourish you in 2023 in the here and now financially materially whatever it is God is going to provide for you and especially spiritually he's going to provide for Israel in her darkest hours not just the basics but everything that you need and he will provide for you not just the basics but he'll nourish you even in the wilderness Psalm 84 11 through 12 wonderful words tells us for the Lord God is a sun and a shield the Lord will give grace and glory no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. You know, Israel, or the woman here, the picture of of Israel is fleeing to this place because she's going to be supernaturally protected from the adversary, from the enemy. Can I remind you, you too, as you walk through life as a believer, you will be protected as you walk through life. And we'll see as we go through the passage, you, you might get hurt in life as you walk through the spiritual battles but you can never be harmed because you have divine protection from the lord you know they aren't only protected but they are provided for just like elijah he was directed to a brook and he was fed by the ravens and provided for by a widow it's a wonderful thought is it not now you might be wondering what on earth is a thousand two hundred and three score days well very simply it's twelve hundred and sixty days or three and a half years. And that's very significant because it is relating to the latter half or the second half of the great tribulation period. And we'll come to that as we work through it. So there's not just safety that Israel's able to find in the flight and the feeding, but then there's strife. And let's look at this a little bit this evening. Strife, look at seven through nine. We've come out of the wilderness and we've come into a war. And this is where it gets really interesting, surely. But look at this with me in verse 7 through 9. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. A war in heaven. It's not maybe the sort of thing that you would expect. Whenever we think about heaven, what on earth is going on here? Well, this does it not uh, serves as a very important reminder that spiritual warfare is a reality. Spiritual warfare is a reality. You see, we may not see it with our eyes. We may, may not even fully understand or comprehend it, but. If you're a student of God's word, which you are because you're here at the Bible study, if you've been saved any length of time at all, you will know that spiritual warfare exists. You will know it exists. And if you're not too sure if spiritual warfare exists and all this sort of thing goes on, will you step out and try to do something for God. No matter how small that thing is for God, you do something for God and you'll soon find spiritual opposition warfare from the enemy. Try to obey God in any area of your life. Step out from what you're doing and try to serve God and you'll find the old enemy will not be too long and trying to get one over on you. Unbelievable. You See, that's why, and I know you do, but that's why it's so important to pray for your pastor. Or if you're listening on tonight from another church, you should be listening to your own midweek, but you pray for your pastor too. You remember your pastor and leaders because, as is often said, if you strike the shepherd, the sheep would scatter. Boy, we have to pray the victory through. But there's something else we have to understand. Spiritual warfare is a reality, but that's what we signed up for whenever we got saved, surely. And it shouldn't surprise us, really, we're told in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the whole armor of God. Why would we need the armor of God if there wasn't a conflict? We're definitely in a conflict, and we definitely need the armor of God. Well, let's look at the, the fight here in verse 7. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Well, what on earth is going on here? Well, of course, the dragon is uh, representative of the enemy or Satan. You know, in Isaiah fourteen twelve through 15, you can turn to it if you want. I want to just give you a little bit about the enemy tonight because we have a lot of descriptions of him, different titles and names given to him. But in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, it helps us to understand. You see, Satan was not always how we have grown to perceive him today in 2023, because at one time he was a, a beautiful cherub or an anointed cherub. But in Isaiah 14, uh, verses 12 through 15, I want you to count the I wills of Satan, just to get this into your head. Look at this in verse twelve of Isaiah fourteen How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, start counting, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Then come with me to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. We're going to read from verse 12 through 17, just so we can understand exactly who we're dealing with in this spiritual warfare. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Ezekiel 28 and verse 12 through 17 tells us this Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering the sardust, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onks, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee. O covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Did you count it in Isaiah, the amount of I wills? I think there's at least five I will statements against God. And the moment that that happened is the moment that the old enemy was cast to earth. But Satan, if you like, is so good at his trade that he was able to deceive a third of the angels into falling in line with him. Do you know something? And I think I've spoken on this before in different maybe sermons and messages, but time and time again, the enemy or Satan, the dragon, whatever title you want to put on him, he's not the wee red devil with horns on that you see in a few weeks' time at Halloween. And people run around with wee pitchforks and, you know, all painted red and all the rest of it. I don't like that depiction either. It's a bit scary, if I'm honest. People don't really know what they're doing. But that's not really what the enemy is. Did you catch it there in Ezekiel? uh, the, The last verse, 17 of our reading, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. In other words, Satan had pride in his heart but he wasn't this little red uh, depiction that we have around about today he's a deceiver he is somewhat attractive and again that shouldn't surprise us because sin and we all know this sin is attractive because people do it people get caught up in it of course if it wasn't attractive nobody would be doing it but sin is to an extent attractive and people of course get caught up in it they're drawn to it like moths to the flame. But the devil, he's a deceiver. He's a counterfeiter. The other little thing is people have the idea of the little red man with the horns and the pitchfork. That's one element of it. Then the other idea people have, and sometimes Christians too, they have this idea of God and Satan being polar opposites, and they are in many respects. But Satan is a deceiver and a counterfeiter. Now think about this. I know none of you will be handling uh, counterfeit money. Well, maybe we have, and we don't even know it. Apparently, there's so many different things in circulation. We don't know it. But if you were to uh, go up to a, a shop here in the town with Monopoly money in your pocket, and say you're getting chippy or something next door, and they tell you what it is, I don't know. A fish supper's about fifty quid now. They say, look, fifty pound, and you slid across the the table a bit of Monopoly money. They're going to look at you and go, no. But you could very well, maybe even not knowingly. And if any of you are at this, I'd carry on. Well, you're in trouble. But if you were to slide across a counterfeit note that was so good that the lady didn't even notice or the man behind the counter didn't notice, you got away with it. You think they have the real deal, they have the real note. Do you know that's exactly the way Satan operates? He tries to counterfeit, he tries to copy and to clone elements of God and elements of good things, and yet under the surface lurks a very sinister and deceptive nature to it. That's the way he operates. We have to be so careful, don't we, in in these days? But praise God, we don't have to rely on our own discernment to know what's right and what's wrong and what's off the Lord and what's off the enemy because we have the person of the Holy Spirit who helps us to discern and helps us to understand what's going on. So what's happening here in this verse? Just wanted to give you a little bit about the enemy, Satan, the dragon uh, that we're thinking about tonight. Well, What's going on here? Well, there's a war going on and these verses explain why at the midpoint of, the, of Daniel's 70th week, or the midpoint of the tribulation, the conditions on earth change so dramatically uh, indeed. In other words, there's a battle in heaven, but the results are felt on earth. The word war here in verse 7 indicates a set battle. Then we're introduced to another character here, Michael and then his angels. Michael, whose name means who is like God, we read of him five times in Scripture. Daniel 10, 13, he's called one of the chief princes. Revelation twelve seven he's Michael, your prince. In Daniel uh, 12, verse 1, he's named as the great prince. In Jude 1, 9, he's identified as the archangel, the only one in Scripture. And here, Michael is leading a great angelic host. They're under his command. and They're called to be his angels. And the host of heaven are reigns just as the enemy uh, described as the dragon and the angel's. And the result is this incredible struggle. The verb here, prevailed, is not uh, descriptive of the failures of the satanic attack. It rather reflects the supreme effort that they had to put forward to try and defeat the host of heaven. But not only is there a fight, the fight, but then there's the fallout. Look at verses 8 through 9 and another few verses. Isn't it wonderful? You know, we thought about the enemy and I've talked about how he's a counterfeiter and, uh, and we all think about sin and different things and we see the impact of it all around about us. And so, t- so often when we talk about the enemy, sometimes I fear we, we begin to worry, would we, we ever be able to overcome him? Is this boy so powerful that, you know, as mere mortals are we able to do anything? Well, I think it's lovely, is it not, to read in verse 8, and prevailed not, neither was there a place found any more in heaven. Not a wonderful thing to read when it comes to the old enemy. They prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. Did you see the description of the enemy in verse 9 this evening? There's a description of the devil. He's described as a serpent because he's so subtle. Touched on that already. He's also called the accuser and Satan, which means an adversary or one who comes up against us. Not only the description of the devil, but then I want you to see the deceptions of the devil. Look at this in verse uh, 9 with me. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. And look at this very carefully, which deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth. Have you ever known a time? Now remember, as I mentioned at the start, some folks believe we're in, the millennial kingdom, they believe we're in kingdom conditions already. But have you ever known a time, and some of you have more life experience than me, quite considerably, have you ever known a time in your lifetime where there has been as much deception and craziness in the world today? I'm sure you haven't. It seems to be a time of absolute madness, morally and socially and all the rest of it. And I think... Not you folks here specifically, but I think in general, believers have tended to underestimate the deceptive ability of Satan and how he's able to deceive so many different people, able to trick, to fool, to, to lie. Of course, in John eight forty four, he's called uh, the father of lies. But let me tell you this, and I can send you a video clip after this if you want to laugh and cry at the same time. But I was sent this video clip. And this is going on in a school in Northern Ireland, okay? Uh, up up the country somewhere. There are school children in Northern Ireland, and they identify as a cat. Now, I didn't misspeak. They identify as cats. Now, it was one thing, and we hear it all the time, people who identify as a man or a woman, and they weren't born a man or a woman. I'm not going off down that tangent But I'm being deadly serious tonight. There are children going into school and they're acting like cats and they're called the furries. I'm not making this up. I wouldn't make it up. I wouldn't say it from here. And people are identifying now as animals. And that might seem bizarre and ridiculous and crazy as it is, but where on earth would that level of deception come from? Well, it can only come from one place satan who's deceived the whole world but i have the solution if a child wants to identify as a cat that's dead on you just tell them they have to put a flea collar on you tell them they have to sleep out in the garage or they have to sleep in the cold bunker or wherever it is that uh, cats sleep and you tell them you're going to have to use a litter tray and you're only allowed 110 of cat food a day and i think that would soon sort them out what do you think but that's what's going on today there's children identifying as cats and animals and all sorts of things, where does that come from? Well, I can tell you this, just like First Corinthians 14, 33 tells us, for God is not the author of confusion. Praise God for the, the word of God that we can be kept right even on these things. Well, there's a description of the devil. There's the deception of the devil. But then there's something else I want you to see in verse 10, the denouncement of the devil. Look at verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. You know, you might be wondering at the end of verse nine, it says, and he, that's the devil and Satan, saved the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. You might be wondering how on earth can Satan or the enemy Uh, accuse accuser of the brethren which accused them before our God day and night how on earth can he accuse the brethren before God day and night if he's been cast out of heaven well he's been cast out of heaven but he still has some form of access if you like to heaven Job 1 verse 6 tells us now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them you know in the mystery and the the providence, and the plan of God, Satan has still been allowed at limited access to heaven. It's a strange concept, is it not? But as we will see, it's not really something to be too worried about. Did you know that the enemy is, as it were, watching everything that you do? You know, sometimes you maybe get a sting of his accusation, Maybe you've had that lustful thought. Maybe you've had a, a bad temper or an act of selfishness or something else where you've, you've slipped up and you've messed up and you've sinned. And we can all be guilty of those things. But there is a great difference between being accused, as Satan tries to do in verse 10, and being convicted of sin. I'll tell you this. You see, in Northern Ireland, this is the only way I could think of to, to bring this comparison. In Northern Ireland, we have a thing called the PPS, the Public prosecution service and they decide on the basis of evidence or an investigation provided to them by the police if there's a case to answer and then a prosecution in the court and a court of law but did you know spiritually speaking we have the SPS it's the same the world over what is the SPS well Satan's prosecution service and boy is he busy did you catch it in verse 10 it said or the very last two lines or so, which accused them before our God day and night. In other words, relentlessly. The SPS is active. Satan's prosecution service is busy day and night. And the old enemy, Satan, he comes, a bit like the the PPS. And if you know anybody that works in the PPS, I'm not comparing them directly to Satan. This is just an illustration before anybody uh, emails me about it. But Satan comes as it were, as a prosecutor or the accuser, and he says to you as a believer, look at you. You're supposed to be a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader or a church member, an elder, a deacon or whatever it is, believer. But do you know what you just thought? Do you know what you just said? Do you know what you just did? God, how on earth could you honor him? You claim to be so righteous. You claim to be just. You claim to be saved. What's this all about? Great accusation. The accuser of the brethren. But praise God, we have a defense. We have an advocate. We have one called the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, one. we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And Christ, as it were, turns to the SPS prosecutor and he says, in our defense, they may have sinned, but when the Father looks at my wounds, I died for their sins. I am the advocate. They're not guilty. You know, is that not a wonderful thought this evening? And I'm sure not one of us here this evening... Maybe even today, you've felt the wrath of the SPS, the accuser. He's come to you about this, that, the other in your life. You, my dear friend, have an advocate. You have won the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And we are clothed in garments of his righteousness, not our righteousness. There's nothing we could ever do to gain that. But we have the righteousness of Christ. And that leads me to this how do we defeat the devil? Look at verses 10 and 11 very quickly. You know, whenever you start to come down through these verses, just as you come down through the verses, you'll realize Satan also is on his way down. He's been cast out of his lofty place in heaven where he was that anointed cherub. He was ministering praise, but that limited access is taken from Satan and he's going to be cast down to earth and soon he will be cast down to the bottomless pit. And then finally, he'd be taken out of the abyss, and he'll be put into the lowest hell where he'll spend all of eternity. Isn't it amazing? The one who said in Isaiah that he will exalt himself above the stars of God will be brought down to the lowest hell. It's a wonderful thought. And If you're f- following the schemes of Satan, there's many people who will be there with him. But praise God, we're following the Lord Jesus Christ. But look very quickly at verses 10 and 11. This evening. Did you notice in verse 10 there was, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, it's authority here. And whenever God speaks, there is authority, is there not? Now, what is being said? Look at this. Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God. Salvation, there in, in this context in which we're reading, this is the physical deliverance of the saints through the tribulation period as they have awaited the coming king. Christ has spoken about this in matthew twenty four it 's much wider than personal salvation, but it's being delivered from uh, sin and Satan into millennial blessing that that little term the strength that 's just the opposite of weakness, which has characterized all of our testimonies down through the ages you we 've been listening to testimonies every Sunday night in, in September. And we have noticed how God has moved and worked and sustained and helped in the lives of different people from different circumstances. But they've all needed the strength of God. Then the kingdom of our God, well, you should know what that's all about by now. It's the millennial kingdom established when Christ comes to the earth in the full display of his sovereign power and his rightful heir to the throne. Of David, then the power of his Christ. That's authority that men have disputed and denied for centuries. But now there'll be no question. When the millennial kingdom comes, whenever he's upon that throne, there'll be no question as to his authority. All men must bow to him. It'll be no longer optional, but it'll be obligatory. So, whenever you think about that in verse eleven, how do we overcome the enemy today? How do we get victory over the enemy? You may be here tonight and you're defeated and you're despondent and you're in despair. How can I leave here tonight having overcome the enemy? Well, look at this in verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. I see three little things here that we can consider. How do we overcome the devil tonight? Well, the first thing is this be cleansed. Look at uh, verse 11 again. They overcame him. They defeated him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb. Be cleansed. 1 John 1, 7 through 9, beautiful verses, often quoted verses, especially whenever we come to the table in this place. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, underline this, highlight it, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Here's another bit to underline, highlight, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the first step to defeating the devil in your life, let me tell you this. Christ got the victory over Satan at the cross. Whenever he was facing the cross, the Lord Jesus Uh, told us now is the judgment of this world, the ruler of this world will be cast out. One commentator put it, Satan's back was broken at the cross. Satan has been sailing a sinking ship. He's ruling a doomed domain. How are you going to overcome Satan? How are you going to overcome the enemy? Well, you'll never have victory over Satan if there's any unconfessed or unrepented sin in your heart. Whatever it is, it's not worth it. You can be clean as, and pure as the driven white snow by repenting of your sin and claiming that precious cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to go to war to Satan, and we do each and every day, if you're going to go to war with the enemy, you have to make sure that your heart is clean. And pure. Ephesians 4:27 says, Don't give the devil a foothold or an opportunity. That's the first little thing. The next one, be cleansed. The next one is to be active. Look at this again in verse 11 to get our idea They overcame him by the blood of the lamb to be cleansed, and here's how to be active, and by the word of their testimony or witness that word testimony could be translated witness. they overcame him by the word of their testimony. Did you know that that your testimony is a mighty part to overcome the enemy whenever you tell people about what Christ has done for you in your life and we say that so. Uh, nearly flippantly what christ has done for you in your life not what i have done for me in my life but what christ has done for me whenever you tell other people that you're essentially throwing water on satan's fire that's trying to devour you adrian rogers said he is lord he is the lamb who died and he is the lion who rules see when satan comes against you accuses you night and day You testify what Christ did at the cross for you. You testify what Christ did when he rose again the third day. Here's a few lines of a song that I love. Satan just cowers to think of the power that he lost when the cross had its day. Gone are the mornings when fear without warning would win and again have its way. Now when Satan reminds me of things I regret, I bring up Calvary lest he forgets. High on the mountain of sorrow and shame, grace signed my pardon as Christ took the blame. When I am called to answer for my history, Calvary answers for me. Isn't that tremendous to me? I don't care what the enemy's in your ear accusing you of, Calvary answers for me. Isn't that powerful? Third we thing. You know we're supposed to get to Verse 17. We're to be cleansed, we're to be active, but then we have to be willing. Look at this. How did these people overcome in verse 11? They loved not their lives even unto the death. In other words, these people were willing to make any sacrifice for Christ, even if it meant losing their own life. That's the attitude of a a martyr. They didn't love their own lives, even in the face of death. They just kept on loving Christ, even if they had to pay with their own lives even if their testimony cost their life, they were going to say, I'm going with God. I'm going with Christ. You might say, well, this sounds like the Christian life could maybe mean I get hurt. Yep, you might get hurt. But praise God, you'll never get harmed. There's a big difference. See, when you're in the center of God's will, your work for God will never lack God's provision or even his protection a wonderful place to be then very quickly look at strategy with me verses 13 through 16 we'll rattle through this because there's a little bit of overlap here you see in verses 13 through 16 satan realizes what has happened to him he realizes that he is no longer uh, able to access god as he once did so to speak he then turns with that intensity towards israel and really begins to persecute her in a way that has never really been seen before You know, this will be a very dark time for Israel in the Great Tribulation. You know, in the Great Tribulation, of course, which begins after the rapture of the church, in the middle of that seven-year period, the temple will be rebuilt. Whenever that happens, the Antichrist will move in. He'll declare himself to be God. Then Israel will realize that a false messiah has betrayed her. She will refuse to serve him, and then Satan will turn on her in a way that's never been done before. They'll take flight, as we have read tonight, uh, for three and. A half years as christ had prophesied in revelation twelve fourteen tells us and then when the enemy sees him flee he'll send in as it were a flood of persecution like a verse 15 the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood why would he do all this why would he be motivated to do all these things well did you see it at the end of verse 12 Therefore ye, re- ye he- rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you. And look at this, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. He knows he's on the way out. He knows his lights are going to be put out, and he's nothing left to lose, as it were. And he goes after them, and he goes after them with a real flood of persecution. What does Isaiah fifty-nine nineteen remind us of? Whenever we think about flood, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall what? Lift up a standard against them. What does all this mean? How does this apply to my life tonight for whatever I'm going through, whatever you're going through? What does it tell us tonight? God knows the future. The future is in his hands. God is in control. Everything that you see happening around about us today, all the deception and all the chaos and all the carnage, again, Adrian Rogers said it best, the times in which we live are growing gloriously dark. In other words, the darker this old world gets, the closer we are to rising to meet him in the air. That's our blessed hope. That's our great hope. How can we continue living in such days Well, we give Christ everything? We love Christ passionately. We serve Christ diligently. We love what God loves, and we keep looking up. I wonder you're here tonight and you're despondent and you're depressed and you're worried and anxious about the future. Can I encourage you tonight? Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's coming back again. May God write his word upon our hearts even this evening.